broadcast is dedicated to the teenage expert, an American phenomenon which uh, we are proud to note is growing by leaps and bounds, you little slobs. Have a little note here from the listener types. He says, uh, uh, Dear Shepherd, I would like to wish that teenage expert a happy 20th birthday. Bum, ba-dum, bum. All right. I'll tell you what it's all about tonight. Yes, sir. You know, it's funny. Um, I just get the same itches all the time, you know? I think I think that, uh, that we never stop being what we are. I, I just, I, I don't recall ever really changing myself, ever. You know? Uh, I don't think you feel much different right now, Al, than when you were a kid, do you? I mean, your knee hurts. But uh, <laughs> outside of that, <laughs> no, really. And, and, you know, people have this myth all the time, going that people change, you know, they, they mature, they they uh, they evolve. I, I've never seen it happen. I, I, I've never really changed. Well, I want to tell you, I got, I got a terrible itch that happens every year. This happens to me. I was out at the airport the other day, and I'm standing around there by the ready line, a lot of planes there. For those of you who don't know why I go there, I'm a flyer type, and I'm out at the airport, see, and I hear off in the distance, just on the other side of the main runway where the weeds are high, there's a couple of signs out there, you know, for used cars and stuff, I can hear, and I look over there, and I see this model airplane, and there's about six kids in the field, and they've got a model airplane, you know, the tether control type that you control from the ground, and it's going round and round in circles. And I stood there for a while watching that while the guys are gassing up the plane that I'm about to fly, and I'm watching these kids out there. And every year, I wish I could, I wish I could do something about it. It's terrible. I shouldn't do this. I mean, I shouldn't think this kind of stuff. I get the terrible urge to build a model airplane. I really do. It just, it just it drives me. And I find myself looking in windows. I can't help it. When I walk past a window like, uh, uh, what's this place down on 32nd and 5th? A fantastic store place, a uh, toy place. What's the name of that place? Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's at 32nd Street on 5th Avenue. If you don't know anything about it, it's wild. Now, this is not a commercial for you. I don't even know the name. But uh, every time I'm in that neighborhood, I, I have to go there. I just have to. Now, that's almost a pure male thing. You agree with me there, Al? You don't see many women in that store. But it is fantastic. Five floors. Five, maybe six, seven, I don't know. But you go up in that elevator, and I'll tell you, they got, they got one whole floor that's nothing but uh, model cars. I mean, all kinds. They have uh, track races, everything, model cars, uh, scale models, gas models, electric models, uh, radio control models. And then the next floor is the floor. I've never been a real car model cuckoo, particularly. I've, you know, I, just, uh, I prefer real cars. But that next floor, man, that model airplane floor, every time I get on that floor, I walk around and I get that itch, that fantastic urge. I just can't help it. And, uh, and of course, I might say this, that it's, uh, again, this is a male thing. I don't know many girls who spend any time building ship models. I have never known a girl to build a ship model. My and, and you know, women maintain the, the myth that they're the same as men. 
The only difference is a little wiring, you know. That's about it. They, yeah, they really do. This is one of the great beliefs that the Helen Gurley Browns of the world have. You forget it. I'll tell you. There's a, there's a vast... You cannot imagine Captain Ahab being, uh, let's say, played by Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, it's just... What is it? It's a male thing. And, and building, building model ships, you never see a girl in those stores. You never, you'll never see... If she, if she is, she's buying it for somebody else. And you'll never see a girl build a model airplane. In all my born days, I've never seen one do it. Ever. I'm just throwing it out for what it's worth. Now, there, there must be a big difference there. there, there, there uh, because I think the model airplane and the model car, particularly the model airplane and the model ship, not so much the model car, these are expressions of a, of a, of a deep romanticism. I think women are sentimental. They're not romantic. I think men are romantic, but rarely sentimental. This causes a lot of problems. <laughs> I mean, between the between the sexes. Oh, yeah, women make a big issue of things like uh, uh, birthday cards. See, this is sentimentality. They really do. They they make a big issue about little things like uh, uh, oh, uh, sending them a get well card and that jazz. The man, he doesn't even know. Half the men I know don't even remember when their own birthday was, much less anybody else's. It's the truth, you know. This is sentimentality. But, but the average man, I'll tell you, I, I don't care if he's got any glands at all. The average man, uh, he gets, uh, uh, you can just see it. He, his face flushes and you can, his pulse begins to go up when he sees a, a, a three-masted schooner scudding over the, uh, over the Long Island Sound water. You know, he just, he just, you can't help it. And, and airplanes, oh, listen, every man I know, is a, he may say he doesn't like flying, but that doesn't mean he doesn't like airplanes. Uh, airplanes are exciting. It's a, it's a, a whole romantic concept, say. And it starts very early in life. Kid is about six or seven years old, and he gets the urge to build a model airplane. And uh, by the time he's ten, of course, the madness was on us full. And I'm about uh, 15 when it came full flower. I mean, true full flower. At first, you, you, you can't do these things. It takes a certain talent and coordination to be able to build a model airplane. In fact, I'll never forget the first time that I actually did a good covering job on an airplane. You know, with the Japanese paper, and it was uh, it was tight, and I used the dope, and it was really beautiful. And that is a that is a uh, a sense of accomplishment to learn how to cover a model airplane. That's no, it's true. It's one of the harder things in this life to do. Well, the first plane that I ever actually, uh, well, that that was a that was a the type of plane that you could use for demonstration and for uh, display was a Stinson Reliant with a gull wing, a beautiful aircraft, a radial engine. And uh, I had bought this kit after working like uh, like three months on my paper route. I bought this beautiful Stinson Reliant kit. It was a rubber band type, but it was I didn't use it for flying. This was a this was a scale model. It had about a, oh maybe a seventeen inch wingspan, and I worked on that son of a gun for about six weeks. I mean, just worked on it, just struggled away, and it was beautiful. The 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 uh, skin job on that thing was so tight that you could flick it with your finger and it it thrum. You know, you just and uh, the color, the color was a bright canary yellow. It's a yellow craft, and it had blue dope uh, trim on it. And this was the actual color of that Stinson Reliant, the particular model that I built. It was a scale model, including uh, registration numbers and all. And there it was. Well, women don't understand this. Six weeks I had this baby working on, the, on my card table. I had a card table in the basement. And then it was done. And uh, that was the last touch was done. In fact, I remember the last touch, the rocker arm covers on the uh, radial cowl. You see, the cowl it had a cowl on it, a spinner cowl. I had rocker arm covers. In each rocker arm cover, I had got myself a camel hair brush 
and I very carefully painted it with black dope. Each rocker on cover had this beautiful little black finish on it. What a model. Oh, beautiful. Well, I hung it up from the ceiling of my bedroom, and it was the absolute center of my life. I would come home every day, and it would be up there, and there'd be a little breeze coming through the window, and it would move, and it was my Stinson Reliant. One day I came home, and my Stinson Reliant is gone. I said, hey, Ma, what happened to my plane? Ah!" She said, oh, I knocked it down when I was cleaning the walls. She knocked it down. Oh, she said, yeah, well, it's not not hurt much. It just broke a little bit. Just broke a little bit, that's all. Well, for you who have built model airplanes, I don't have to tell you the story. Broke a little bit meant that she had knocked it off the ceiling. She had one of these mops, you know, that you clean the ceiling with, and she cleaned it all right. Down came the Stinson Reliant, and she broke the left wing, right? Beautiful. The, whole, the main spot busted. Forget the covering job. It was done. It was done. And, and she also cracked one of the longerons. One of the longerons are the, are the long spars inside the fuselage, which meant that the entire fuselage twisted. Forget it. She said, it's only broke a little bit. Well, to a woman, that's true. It's only broke a little bit. Yeah. I can imagine some poor old duffer living up in Camden, Maine. You know, the kind of guy that he retires at the age of 70, and for the next 30 years, he is building a a bolt-by-bolt, nail-by-nail model of, let's say, one of the great clipper ships. And finally, at the age of 92, he finishes it, and there it sits, a fantastic work of art. And five minutes later, his wife comes in and, quote, dusts it. Oh, it just broke a little bit. A few of them little... Uh, it's got too many of those little things on it. A few of those little uh, threads came off, but you won't mind. I knew you could put them back on, Charles. Oh, I'm serious. This is one of the major differences between men and women. It really is. So I uh, I, I uh, remember you know, this this urge to build a model. You can't explain it to women. It's just impossible. And uh, my mother, for example, I would be down in a basement, see, and I had the plans. Now, there, any of you who have ever built model airplanes, you know that you take the plans, you cover them with wax paper, and you start pinning uh, ribs down to the wax paper. Boy, it's a job. You know? You've got everything laid out, and it takes... My mother used to come in, and she'd say, well, I needed the uh, card table. She'd just take the pins up and, oh, forget it. I says, but, Ma, it was just drying. Look at that. Now it's all, it's ruined. She said, oh, no, you can glue it together again. To her, it was just simply a matter, I'm down there playing around, gluing things together. It never, never occurred to her. I imagine that, uh, you know, this is a this is a problem that that men know and women don't quite understand. But uh, as a all right, this is W O R New York. Yes, I have here a uh, a letter here I just received from one of our victims up in Vermont, and he says, Shepard, I want to thank you. You have opened up my life completely. I am now loved in the neighborhood. There are women chasing me. I've uh, been able to. Uh, uh, grow more hair on the top of my head, all because of that fantastic flying bird. He says, that thing not only flies, but I am flying now. So if you would like to try this, friends, you just send $3.98 to Flying Birds. Flying Birds, Department S, Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, and the zip is 10017. Now that's $3.98 per each, check or money order. The address again is Flying Birds, Department S, Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, 
Zip 10017. Wolf's Kasha, Wolf's Kasha. It's a sing. Come on, I don't want to sing about Wolf's Kasha. No, no, I want to... <laughs> That's what the copy says. It's sing in loud Robert Goulet type voice. Well, uh... Yeah, <laughs> let's put it on this basis, friends. Kasha is a centuries-old popular food staple of popular Eastern Europe. And Kasha is getting popular here, too, all over here in America. Yeah, it's a delicious change of taste for rice, potatoes, or pasta. And the popular one, the one that's really making it big, is Wolf's Kasha, which was made from golden brown buckwheat kernels, also buckwheat groats. And uh, <laughs> everybody knows what a good groat is like. But what's making Wolf's Kasha is so popular is a wonderful nut-like taste. It's very inexpensive, and it tastes groovy. And you can have a lot of fun with it. You can make it little balls and throw it back and forth at friends and make it into popsicles. Wolf's Kasha with two Fs. Wolf's Kasha. Hooray. Oh, man, does the thought of winter driving give you the unbelievable chills? <laughs> no need. With general winter tires, you go in snow, or big old general pays the tow. Yeah, yeah, bring it up big, George. Want to hear them songs? Right now, your nearby General Tire store is offering a pair of famous winter cleat black wall snow tires for only $38, size 650 by 13. Federal excise tax is $176 per tire. Larger sizes also available at comparable prices. White walls about $3 more per tire. This great General Tire has four full plies of Nigen nylon cord and a deep cleat four-rib tread that digs and grips. So take advantage of General's low pair price on snow tires now for all winter driving. Drive in where you see the big red General Tire G. Yeah, yeah. I must tell you, though, that uh, building a model airplane, I think teaches, uh, I think this is one of the reasons why men's character is so much different later in life than women's. Because they know the, uh, the total defeat of being faced with something which seems to be simple and which ultimately totally defeats you. Men have a different look in the eye uh, than women do. Women, <laughs> women, uh, the, the, the worst thing that a woman will try to make sometimes is a doily. Uh, you know, this is, <laughs> or they'll knit a sweater, something like that. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a mechanical problem. But when you're, when you're building a model airplane, you're faced with talent. Some guys have got it, some haven't. Incidentally, uh, I built a beautiful model last year. Uh, the last time I talked about no, it was beautiful. No, real model airplanes, the, the real type. I'm not talking about gluing the uh, plastic models together. This is not the model airplane. That's just a, a little. Uh, that really is just a little decorative gimmick. It, uh, it's not building a model airplane. So when I'm talking about model airplane building, I'm not talking about going down and getting a, a kit that uh, you, you glue the plastic wings onto the plastic fuselage and so forth. That's a very different process. I'm talking about building a model, literally building. The difference really is this. Uh, have you seen these, these uh, canvases where you paint by numbers? Well, it's a far cry from painting by numbers to painting a painting. Oh, really a far cry. And that is the difference between building a model airplane that comes as a plastic kit and building a model airplane. Now, last year, I built a Curtis Robin. I just wanted to see if I still had the old touch. And uh, I got a Curtis Robin. I got it at that place at the fifth, uh, 32nd Street there, at Fifth Avenue. And uh, it's a beautiful model, and I, I built this thing, and, and uh, there it was. What a feeding of accomplishment. You know what bugs me, though, is that half the guys who see it say, oh, yeah, I used to build model airplanes. And you ask them, and it turns out what they did was glue pieces of plastic together. They think it's the same thing. It's, 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 a, it's a very vast difference, and you, you can't explain it to them. But one year, 
One year, and I wanna, this, this is a strictly a male adventure, so I might as well warn you. This is a male thing. Did you see the little note that came in from Cincinnati the other day in the Times? Well, you can't imagine girls doing this. I read this to you. An aerial photography adventure went awry as a helium-filled balloon with camera attached used by three boys from suburban Kenwood snapped its 1,000-foot line and drifted off. Quote, we did it before and went up to 450 feet. We got real good pictures, said Robert Seifert, 15. This time we wanted to go a little bit higher, but I guess we went too high. <laughs> but now wait, this is, this is groovy, you know? These kids uh, are doing aerial photography from a 1,000-foot high balloon. Now that would never occur to a girl to do. Now, I know I'm going to get lots of letters from girls who claim this. But I, I've, I've uh, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of women. I've seen a lot of girls. I've seen a lot of boys. And I have yet to see a girl even attempt a thing like that. Now, do you know what, it, what, what went into that little job those kids did? Well, first of all, it's not just a simple matter of attaching a camera to a helium balloon. You've got to get a technique whereby the camera will shoot when it gets up there. In other words, there's control problems involved. So any any male type immediately thinks, you know, <laughs> these guys, you know, a thousand feet. Now to begin with, it's not easy to get a thousand feet of any type of cord that can hold a balloon at that altitude. Obviously, they didn't do it. The balloon got away with their camera too, by the way. Now those those guys <laughs> those guys are going. This is this is going to be a thing. It's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. These guys, uh, 25 years from now, this, I can see Seifert, and he's, uh, he's lying there on the couch. And uh, the doctor's saying, well, now we've just got to get at the, at the basic core. Now, we, we've been working here for months, and you've been telling me about your mother and these traumatic experiences with these girls, but there's something really important that's bothering you. Now, what is it? Now, what is it? And Seifert's lying there, and I remember. Oh, God. I remember it was, a, it was on a Friday afternoon. Me and uh, Heine and Clarence was 15. And I had this, uh, I had this Argus camera I got for my birthday, see? And that was a 35-millimeter camera. And, and Heine, Heine bought some of these balloons, these uh, surplus balloons, these surplus weather balloons you could buy. Oh, I can't talk about it. I can't. The doctor says, now, you're just going to have to face it. Uh, these, these things have to be faced. Uh, we'll keep it right here in this room. Oh, it's not that. Not that I'm ashamed of anything, but I'll never forget. We got those balloons up. You see, Doc, I, I had this camera, and we, we figured we could take some pictures from the air, you know, aerial photography. Yes, yes, and then what? Well, we got it up to 450 feet. We got these great pictures. It took us... Eight, nine, ten weeks to figure out how to trigger that thing. I remember that we worked it all out. We had a we had a thread that came down. We had little we had little uh, rings on the on the balloon's cable that came down that held the thread so it wouldn't flop around. And then when we get up at four hundred feet, we made we had to make sure you see that the camera was pointed downward. Doc, you understand that if you had aerial photography, had enough of clouds, it's nothing. Well, we weighted the balloons. See, we put we put the we put kind of fins on it so it would kind of keep that camera pointed down and you know the first time we tried it oh it was great we got we got a whole roll of 35 and you know the, the problem is not only just triggering the camera but re-cocking it you have to move the frame you know that's not easy well we've worked it out it took us weeks and we got these great pictures well after we developed them Jaime had a dark room 
Oh, boy, they were great. But, uh, I can't go on. We should have stopped there. I can't go on, doctor. Well, all right. Uh, next week, uh, maybe we can get closer to the problem. Five minutes later, he's walking out in the street. He knows what the problem is. He remembers that balloon sailing off into the blue. Higher and higher and higher. Like his bursted hopes, his dreams. Carrying his Argus camera. The camera that he got from his Aunt Gwen for his birthday. Off into the wild blue yonder. And what's more, even. After that, they came around from the airport and raised came with them for putting a balloon up for a thousand feet without getting permission. They told him he was going to get arrested the next time he did it. They didn't even worry about his camera, which seemed to be heading towards Kentucky when it was last seen. Well, all right. You want to hear the story of what happened to me and Schwartz? Now, it's just like Seifert and his two buddies. I had been building Curtis Robbins and Stinson Reliance. Once in a while, I'd build a model. One of my best models was a model of a DC-3. I even had silver papers, beautiful little American airline insignia on the side of it. Really proud of this baby. And the the next step after you go from from uh, models that are driven by rubber band is gas models, of course. Well, there was this guy. There's a guy in town named Hickman. It was Hickman's stationery and hobby store. He was the pusher. In fact, even when I see that name ever, you remember when Jim Hickman played for the Mets? Every time I saw that name Hickman, I'd start breathing hard. Why? Because old Hickman in our neighborhood was the pusher of model airplanes. I walked past that store. I couldn't walk past it without getting excited. Because in the window, he had all these beautiful models, gas models, and all the, 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 the model, the engines would all be laying out there in their little plastic cases. And, oh, boy. Well, Schwartz and I, one day coming home from school, saw a model in the window of Hickman's. Now, the name of the model, I don't know whether any of you uh, model types know it, but it was a famous model called the Flying Quaker. Did you ever hear of the Flying Quaker? Well, the Flying Quaker was a prize-winning, internationally famous uh, endurance gas model of the period. Beautiful monoplane, but it was five-foot wingspan. Oh, it was a big baby. Oh, yeah, this is not... Uh, no, no, this is not Tether. Listen carefully to me. Tether is for greasy kids. You know, the model where you hook the little wire on it and it goes in circles. No, this was a free-flying gas model. Now, it had five-foot... You could get, no, no, you could get two types of, of planes. It was a five-foot wingspan and a six-and-a-half-foot wingspan. These were big babies. Well, now, the, the, the kit alone, just for the plane, came to something like 20, 25 bucks. It's a beautiful model. Well, Schwartz and I one day looked in this window, and we realized we, you know, this was it. This was this this was the, the next ultimate step. And we go in and talk to Hickman. At the Hickman standing behind a counter there, he was a bald-headed guy. He looked a little bit like uh, like uh, Groucho Marx, as a matter of fact. At the, he was a pusher, a true pusher. He would he knew how to get the kids involved. He didn't sell anything. He just put it on the counter. And once in a while, he'd say, "Well, you know." Uh, of course, you know, Falk is thinking of building that. Because Falk was the demon aircraft builder in the neighborhood. And anytime Falk was going to build anything, everybody got the hots. You know, they had had to do it. See, he was, he was it. And so he would just mention, you know, uh, uh, Johnny was in the other day looking to sell, and he says it's going to be his next project, you know. Oh, boy. 
there on the counter, opened up, opened up. He'd open them up, you see. Just, you could see the stuff. Was this magnificent kit of a flying Quaker. When we looked at this thing, we priced it. And uh, Hickman came over in the final quencher. He said, look, you guys have been buying stuff here for years. Are you two guys going in on this together? She said, yeah. I said, okay. Fifteen bucks. Well, that is six dollars off the price. It's a twenty-one dollar model. He says, fifteen dollars just for you guys. Don't tell anybody that I did it. Well, we go rushing home. Well, I had, uh, you know, I had a bank. Remember, <laughs> I remember the bank was in the shape of Frankenstein. I, don't, I had a Frankenstein bank. And it was a plastic Frankenstein, and he had a slot on the top of his head, you know, where his head was square with the little bolts that came out of the side. And, uh, <laughs> and I took my Frankenstein bank. Now, I didn't want to break this bank. You see, to, to get the dough out of it, you had to break it. And so I'm shaking the dough out. And I remember shaking that dough for about three days until finally I got every last cent that I had saved from the time I was five in this Frankenstein bank. I'm shaking it all out. I remember shaking it on the bed, and I finally got it out, and I had just short of $11. Yeah, it was a lot of money. It was a big bank. It was a, the, the bank was a big web. It was about a foot high, a big, big bank. And I had, every time I'd get a 50-cent piece for my birthday or Christmas or something, I'd put it in there, and I had about 11 bucks. In the meantime, Schwartz is shaking everybody down that he can shake down for his dough. Well, this went on for about a week, and we are getting more excited by the minute. Oh, boy, it was fantastic. Well, by the next Friday, one week or so, we had the 15 bucks, and we, each of us is going to put in seven and a half. So we go down to see this guy, old man Hickman, and there he is behind the counter. It's Saturday. You know, Saturday is the day that all the kids do this kind of stuff. You know, the male types go down to the hobby shops, and we walk into Hickman's store, and there's a lot of other kids walking around in there buying little things like, you know, 35-cent uh, uh, Piper Cub models and stuff like that. And Schwartz goes up and says, Mr. Hickman, we would like to buy the Flying Quaker, the, uh, the five-foot model. Hickman says, oh, oh, oh yeah? Really? <laughs> this kind of threw him. Say, it's a big buy. So with that, he takes the thing out. And Schwartz says, don't forget, you said $15. That's right. That's right. Here it is. He wraps it up, and we take this baby home. It's in a huge box. Now, remember, it's a five-foot wingspan model, so you can figure out how big the uh, spars were in this baby. And uh, we took it home, and we started to work on it instantly. Tremendous plans, the whole thing. And we're carving the lingerons, and we're carving the, the cowl. I remember the cowl, a great big fat cowl made out of a solid piece of balsa wood. Well, by the end of, oh, possibly two weeks, every day we worked on this thing, we had the skeleton of a magnificent model, a five-foot gas model. Now we had to get a motor. You see, the motor did not come in this kit. So we had, we'd been uh, scrounging around, paper routes and the whole bit. And by the end of the third week, the plane was done with the exception of a motor. The color, in case you're interested, was orange and blue. The body was orange. The wings were blue. This was the standard color of the flying Quaker. And it was beautiful. They had a picture of a Quaker. You know, have you seen those pictures on the Quaker Roads cam? Well, it looked like that. It was a Quaker, a big Quaker on the side of this thing. And we had the insignia all glued on this baby and movable ailerons. You could set the rudder and everything on it. Had little aluminum tabs for trim. Oh, it was a beautiful model. Well, after another two weeks of scrounging, working on my paper route every day, I'm saving every cent. Schwartz and I finally raised the scratch. 
to buy this motor. Beautiful little motor. And it was the first one we ever owned. It was built by Brown. You remember the Brown-type engine? Beautiful little gas motor. We took it down in the basement, Schwartz's house, put it in a vise, put the gas in it, the mixture, got the dry cells going, and that baby worked fantastic. I'll tell you one thing. That's a real lease breaker. Down in the basement, we got this thing going. Wah! And it's kicking out all this blue smoke all over the place, and his mother is flipping, and the dogs are barking. You can hear windows breaking for blocks around. Well, we mounted the, we mounted the motor. Now, there are special techniques that you use to, uh, to get these things uh, uh, finally adjusted. You put a couple of drops in first, and you take really short flights with the, the thing. Now, remember, this is not a tethered model. It is a free-flying model. Yes, five-foot wingspan, free-flying model. Beautiful aircraft. Well, first we tried gliding tests with it, which would mean that uh, we would get up on the top of the garage and glide it. Now, it was very, it was light. This thing was beautifully built. It was a beautiful, light model. And we glided. It was working fine. Just beautiful. And by that time, the whole neighborhood is in, in, involved in this thing. And Falk knew about it. And, and the Flick was uh, hanging around. Because it was just me and Schwartz that built this thing. Bruner is hanging around. My kid brother, man, I, he was like a mustard plant. He's always walking around. He wanted to hold it and push it and make the propeller go. And now we had the propeller was a commercially built propeller. We bought a prop for it. And uh, it was beautifully, uh, it was made out of carved wood. Beautiful, I think it was an ash propeller. Polished and uh, a beautiful lacquer on this thing. And it was just it was, uh, even now, and I think about that model, I, I, I uh, you know, I break out in a sweat. It was a beautiful model. Well, exactly, I would say, I, I shouldn't say exactly, I should say roughly, roughly six weeks after the project started, Schwartz and I were ready for the first flight of our model. Now, you don't take a five-foot model and fly it in the backyard, a gas model. You just can't do that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big operation. And so we got, we got a car, Flick's dad, and the, we, we had them out with wings off of it, see. Uh, the wings came off. They, they, were, they, they, they worked, uh, they had, a, had an arrangement where the wings would fit into the fuselage. You could take it, knock it down for carrying, you see. So uh, we take the wings off, and the very carefully we've got our little cans of mixture with the oil and the gas, you know, use a special mixture in these engines. We had our dry cells and all the excitement, the whole business. And we drive all the way out to the edge of town where there was an airport, just like this airport that I was watching these other kids fly, their airplane. Now, we get out to the airport, and uh, we've been doing a lot of reading. You see, the model airplane uh, uh, magazines talk a lot about how the first flights, how you get this plane, how you get any kind of an aircraft, how, how you break it into flying. You don't just, uh, not, not, not like a, uh, a rubber band plane, you don't just don't wind it up and let it go, you know, because, man, you got yourself a a thing by the tail, because for one thing, this airplane traveled at speeds of about, oh, uh, anywhere between 20 and 35 miles an hour. It's a very fast, oh, this is a big airplane. After all, a five-foot aircraft, stop and think about it. Uh, what kind of lift this thing develops? Uh, furthermore, uh, it had an engine in it that it could push it. It was built for this uh, particular model, and it made a fantastic roar. And what was so exciting about it was to see that exhaust Screaming back past the fuselage, the plane that we built, had little exhaust plates on the side so that it wouldn't catch on fire because of the hot smoke that would come out of the side of this engine. And so here we are out there, and old Flick's father's there, and my old man is around there, he, you know, the whole big... Everybody in the neighborhood is involved in this by now. You know, all the kids and the male types. So we get it out, 
and we get up on the top of his hood. Now, this was the first start. You, see, you had to get up in the air because you've got to get this thing off the ground to begin with. See, so we get up on the hood of this, his Pontiac, and we put, uh, with, a, with a medicine dropper, we put three drops of gasoline mixture, the, uh, the fuel mixture, in the little tank of this aircraft. And Schwartz is up there holding the, holding the dry cells. This is what you start them with. See, and I kick it over. Wow, 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 wow. They stop instantly. They don't, there's no uh, uh, slow-up period in a model airplane engine. They, just, they stop like that. So we put a little more fuel in. It's working great. The kids are cheering. Everybody's watching. Well, our first flight, I will never forget it. It's beautiful. Uh, we, we had about a drop, maybe half a drop of gas in this thing, just a little bit. And she went, Aah! she took off and went about 150 feet at an altitude of about, oh, I'd say 20 feet. And she cut off right in mid-flight. Ah! And she just glided down. Oh, fantastic. And the kids are cheering and roaring with a fantastic applause. Hooray, hooray, the old man's running around. See, my father, my father always had a vague, now that I look back on it, he had a vague, I could see a vague a sense of uh, inadequacy around me. Because, you know, each succeeding generation seems to be able to do stuff better than the one before it. And the old man, the old man was always having trouble, you know, just getting his Oldsmobile started, uh, much less get one of these babies started. He'd look at it, he was fascinated by this whole bit. And he's out there walking around giving us advice. And it's a totally useless advice like that. Well, uh, I think what you ought to do is, uh, is uh, tilt it up a little bit when you're going you to give us the wrong advice. To keep it tilted up so it goes up in the air. You want it to go up. Well, we finally decide it is ready to go. And now we go out to the center of the field. Great crowd of kids. Flick's car. Schwartz. Bruner. All of us. We are about to have one of the great lessons in our life. A beautiful model, magnificent thing, shining. It had about 15 coats of dope on it. And the sun was glistening on the wings. That beautiful insignia of the Quaker had a big tricorn hat. The Quaker on the side of the airplane. Well, we filled the tank up for extended flight. Now, this thing had a, uh, an endurance, theoretically, of roughly, if, uh, if it was filled up, of roughly 17 to 20 minutes, according to the, uh, you know, the, uh, the technical details that we got with the engine. We filled it up, which was, of course, insane, but we did. <laughs> this is the problem. Just like old Seifert here, he just went 300 feet too far with that, uh, that Leica or that Argus, right, gang? It's always reaching a little too much. That's what's going to get you. And so we fill the tank, drop by drop, and now she's ready for 17 minutes of extended flight. Now, we had been doing control tests, which meant that the plane was set to spiral. It was set to spiral in big sort of uh, left turns, you can imagine. It was not going to supposedly fly away, okay? Well, we're standing in the, in the middle of the field now. Schwartz has got a hold of the, the dry cells. The old man is standing behind me he's, uh, uh, while I'm holding it, you see. And we got Flick to kick the prop. I says, Flick, you kick the prop over now. And uh, you just take this prop. Here we go. That would kick, and it spit a little of the fuel out the, out the exhaust pipe. I'd say, come on, would you check and see whether any of that fuel is on the top of the plug, will you? It's wet or something. So we wipe off the plug. 
And now we try to get... I stand after about five tries. Oh, I could feel that baby straining it. Just straining it, roaring. And Schwartz unhooks the dry cells. And now she's in my hands, ready for free flight. The sun is shining down. This is two months of work. The culmination of our dreams. This is the end of what it's all about. Wow, 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 wow. The kids are running around yelling and hollering. And I remember Schwartz hollering, get out of the way now. Get out of the way. Let's give it some air. Wow, 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 wow. And they fall back in this big semicircle. Well, now, there's a technique, of course, of launching an aircraft. You never launch it downwind. You must always launch it into the wind, you see. So I move into the wind, and I'm holding this baby with just a slight tilt downward of the nose so she gets a little flying speed up. And the lift is all, all the ailerons and the rudder tabs and the trim tabs, and everything is adjusted. Wow, 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 wow. And Schwartz says, okay, now hold on to it. Hold on to it. Hold on to it a minute. I want to adjust the tail again. You see, because what was happening was that the slipstream, the tremendous kick from this rudder, or rather from the from the propeller, was our, making our controls straighten out. <laughs> Literally, it was, it was... So Schwartz is back there adjusting the, the rudder again. See, so it would turn. Wow, 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 wow. This time, the stabilizer's flopping up. Saying, wow, 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 wow. And I'm holding it. Boy, it's, it's shooting blue smoke out all over my head. <laughs> I'm coughing and snorting away. And the sun is coming down. And the kids are yelling and cheering. And Schwartz is back there adjusting the tail. Wow, wow, wow. I might point out that both of us had won prizes, incidentally, in model airplane building. In, in several, uh, uh, at least two occasions. So we're, we were not just amateurs in this field. We, we, knew what, you know, we figured we knew what we were doing. And that prop is spinning full blast. I'm, you know, there's no way, there's no, uh, uh, there's no acceleration or anything on these motors. It, they're either going full blast or they're stopped. That's it. <laughs> so it's roaring away, and I'm hanging on this thing. And you could feel it. You know, airplanes are built to fly. They're not built to roll around on the ground or hang from ceilings. You can just feel the flight in this baby. Wow, 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 wow. She is screaming away. Schwartz is running around at Jesse. He's okay, okay, you all set. Wow, 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 wow. And I said, okay, let's go, Schwartz. Wow, 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 wow. And I ran forward with it, and she up that thing went. It was fantastic. The crowd cheered. It went up, 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 and it was climbing at a steep climb, higher and higher and higher that baby is going. And all the while, it's making a big left turn. It's kind of like a big chandelle she's going into. Wow, 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 wow. And by now, it's, it must have been a good 500 to 1,000 feet high. That baby climbed like a rocket. I never saw anything in my life like a wow, wow. The kids are cheering, and she makes a big left turn and sweeps over the field. And you could see the sun shining through the wings. You know, this is a transparent tissue paper. Although it was doped, you could still see the sun through it. Wow, wow, climbing. And now she's about 1,000 feet high. It was fantastic. This thing, first of all, it wasn't supposed to go that high. <laughs> I mean, it was supposed to fly at an altitude of about two or 300 feet, say. Well, the son of a gun is way down. Wow, wow, wow. She makes another big chandelle. Wow, wow, wow. And she straightens out and heads into the sunset. Well, Flick says, quit getting the car. We'll follow it. And we go roaring down US-41. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's going higher and higher. And we are driving like mad over gravel roads. 
We went over three farmhouses through two used car lots. Well, well, well. The son of a gun is still climbing. Well, 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 well. And it disappeared in the blue. Well, just want to say it was, <laughs> it's a funny moment. I mean, we had driven about eight miles in Flick's Pontiac trying to keep up with that thing, and finally the Pontiac was heating up. Old, old man Flick was sweating and mad. We almost hit a bus. We'd gone through used car lots. You see, the plane was not following the highway. <laughs> it didn't know that we were after it. That son of a gun just kept going on and on and on, and it disappeared. And I remember the last moment you could see the sun shining off those wings. Well, the old man said to Schwartz, to me, he says, did you put your name on it? No. Our name wasn't even on it, our address, nothing. It just sailed off into the blue. It was a strange moment. It was a triumph. I mean, it was obviously a triumph. The plane flew like a, like a bomb. And in the basement, I came home with the old man. You looked kind of sad. We were figuring we were going to go out the next day and look for it again, but forget it. That baby was, you know, 17 minutes that thing was set to fly, anywhere from 17 to 20 minutes. And she was at an altitude. By the time we last saw her, she was approaching 2,000 feet. Well, this thing could glide for four counties. And we knew, both of us, we'd never find it again. And we went down in the basement, and there is, there are the plans, all the stuff that we'd been building it out of, pieces of used balsa wood, had a couple of spare park, spark plugs for the motor. It came with a little wrench that you used to put the new plugs in. The box that the flying Quaker came in. Nothing but the shards of our lost dreams. Well, that was the last model airplane. Now, <laughs> really, it was the last serious model airplane that both Schwartz and I ever built. That model airplane, the Flying Quaker. And some, somebody, someplace, had a plane come down in their yard. A farmer walking around found it in a cornfield. I often wondered, I've, many times I've wondered, who found that airplane, what he thought about it, what he did with it. I would hate to think a bunch of kids got it and just, you know, busted it up or something. The flying quake. Off in the sunrise it went. The sunset of existence. The glinting rays of all time. And so we got to salute Seaford out there. And his Argus camera at the end of a thousand feet of string at the bottom of a helium-filled balloon who had that last sad line that says it all. Well, we got such good pictures at 450 feet, we thought we'd go to 1,000. I guess it was too high. Yes, we can apply that to the moon shoot. We can apply that to a lot of things, friends. One last step, and that's the one that does you in. This is WOR New York. Now it comes with the news with John Scott.